I'm preaching a sermon series we started last week, some of you may have been here, and we're working through about the church and what is the church and what is it supposed to do and who's supposed to do what and so on and so forth. And we're uh, we're going to look this morning at, at leaders in the church and the pastor in particular and what the role of the pastor is supposed to be and so on. And before you think that's that's going to be kind of boring and like you're just talking about yourself and all that, it's not, that's not the point this morning. The point is that I'm not sure and don't want to take for granted that everybody here has ever understood truly what the relationship between the pastor and the congregation is really supposed supposed to be. I realize that some of you probably come from really great churches, maybe growing up and so on. Maybe you grew up here. It's been a wonderful church for you for years. Others, maybe you came from different kinds of churches. I don't want to take for granted that you know exactly how the relationship is supposed to work. And I'll tell you this, I don't know everything there is to know about it. I'm still learning. I came here about nine years ago. This is the first church that I've pastored. I was a, a youth minister before that. And uh, and so I've just tried to treat it. Somebody gave me some advice. Hey, when you become a pastor, if after being a youth pastor, it's just youth ministry for big people. So I thought, well, all right, I'll, I'll give that a shot. And so, uh, but anyway, I came across this. It's kind of interesting. I remember nine years ago, almost nine now, in July of 2008, sitting with the search committee from this church from Elm Grove Baptist Church. We were over in the other building in what is uh, what we call the fellowship hall building. We sat around there and they gave me the job description and they asked me some questions and I asked them questions. And, and some of you, of course, were in that meeting. Some of you were on that search team. And, and, uh, and, and so after that, of course, uh, the, the call was extended for me to come here, but the job description was, was clearly that here's what we want you to do. Here's what we believe you're supposed to do. And so on. I came across a job description for pastors that probably seems to be a little more accurate than the one that I was actually given. I think I was, I was, I had the, you know, I was tricked just a little bit when I came here. <laughs> Here's a job description, uh, that, uh, uh, anybody who's ever been in ministry or been around, uh, may understand. Uh, here's a job description for, for the perfect pastor. You ready for this? The perfect pastor. So y'all are going to have to start looking. Uh, perfect, perfect pastor. Number one, he pleases everyone. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and follows it with an invitation in which everyone is convicted, but no one is offended. Try that one. He works from 7 a.m. to midnight in every aspect of work from counseling to janitorial work. He's 27 years old with 30 years of experience. It's amazing. He's tall and short. Thin and heavy set to kind of, you know, make everybody feel good, I guess. He's handsome, but not overpowering. He has one brown eye and one blue eye to make everybody happy. His hair is parted in the middle and straight on one side and wavy on the other with a balding spot on top, revealing his maturity. Uh, he, he has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends all his time with senior citizens all at the same time. He smiles constantly with a straight face because he has a, hint, a sense of humor that keeps him seriously at work all the time. He invests 25 hours a week in sermon prep, 20 hours a week in pastoral counseling, 10 hours a week in meetings, 5 hours in emergencies, 20 hours in visitation and evangelism, 6 hours in funerals and weddings, 30 hours in prayer, and 12 hours in correspondence and 10 hours in creative thinking. He's incredible. This perfect, perfect pastor always has time for every committee meeting and so on and so forth. It's interesting. When I got into ministry, I had no idea what to expect. Now, this morning, I'm not going to try to talk about just my story and so on, but I thought the truth is I've not, I've not explained on a Sunday morning, except maybe the very first Sunday morning that I was here, how I got here. 
And how did I wind up in ministry? What was God's call on my life? And I, I share this with you, both for a matter of information to some degree, but also because there may be somebody here. In particular, maybe one of our young people who says, you know what, maybe God wants to use me in a similar way. And I, and I want to be the kind of church, quite honestly, where people are called into ministry and sent out from our church, raised up to do ministry, even if maybe not in a full-time basis, maybe not to get paid full-time for it, maybe so, but they understand there's a calling that can happen that God leads you into ministry. When I was eight years old, I remember sitting on the edge of my bed uh, in our little house in Louisville, Kentucky, and praying with my mom as she led me in prayer as I gave my life wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. Some of you will, will think, well, at eight years old, how in the world could you even know? I was broken, and I remember being broken and knew that I was a sinner and in need of a Savior. And, and folks, the point uh, that you have to get to, if you're ever going to receive, truly receive the salvation of Jesus Christ, is the point of brokenness. can't receive Jesus and still be your own person. can't receive Jesus and still be your own man and your own woman and so on. You have to get to a broken point. And that's where I was at eight years old in 1985, sitting there on the edge of my bed. I was baptized in 1986 as a, a public profession of faith and symbolic of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and I never expected at that point to be in ministry. I really didn't. I entered youth ministry, uh, my own youth ministry in my church, when I was in the seventh grade. Some of you remember the, what's the model we have. You had junior high, you had high school, and I entered that. I had a great youth minister, and he was wonderful, and he was sort of a role model for me. And I thought, you know what, Lord, if you ever called me to do that, man, I, I think that would be something really special. So I went and talked to him. His name was Kerry, Kerry Jones. And I went and talked to Kerry, and I said, Kerry, I think maybe the Lord might be calling me into ministry. I was about 12 or 13 years, years old at the time, and, and he was very gracious great leader. And he said, all right. He said, I'm not going to say that's not the case. He said, but don't call yourself ministry. Don't do it just because you think it's something cool to do just because I'm doing it. He said, don't, don't do it for those reasons. You make sure that it is God's call in your life. So I waited and waited and waited. And I went on to play baseball in high school. I came to Murray state to play baseball. I didn't get a, a, a biblical degree. Of course, at Murray state, I got a history degree and a, and a teacher's certificate. And I went back to Louisville after graduating from Murray state in 1999. And I was a high school teacher and baseball coach for about four years. And I was miserable absolutely miserable. I enjoyed the coaching and the classroom was something I tolerated and I just kind of got through it. And I knew at that point that the Lord had said, you know what, this is not your calling. And I'll tell you this, teaching is a high calling. There's no question about it. We got lots of educators, but it wasn't my calling not to be in the classroom full time. The Lord had a different calling on my life. And so I began to pray and said, Lord, you know what, if you'll lead me, I'll follow you. And I remember waking up at 3.30 in the morning, I believe it was on a Thursday, in the summer of 2003, June, early June of 2003, I remember waking up. It's the only time it's ever happened to me in my life, and I don't say this to speak anything in your life, but I remember God clearly revealing to me in that moment, speaking to me in my spirit, you're going to get a job offer this week, and I want you to take it. And I thought, what on earth are you talking about? And lo and behold, a couple days later, the pastor of my home church called me and said, Hey, our youth minister is transitioning out. He's leaving. Would you be interested in this position? I said, Yeah. Yeah, I would, because God told me two days ago I'm supposed to take whatever I'm offered. So here we go, you know. And so my home church, a church at the time when I was working there, uh, and a good buddy of mine is here this morning, Josh, he was working there as well. Uh, it was up to around 2,500 people going to church there on a regular Sunday morning. Two different services, massive place. So my first job is leading 140 high school students and college students in this church. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, none. And somebody said, hey, man, you still don't. I get it. But I, I had no idea what I was doing, no clue at all. And yet there I 
I am in ministry trying to lead all these teenagers. And the only preparation I had had was just life experience. And so I didn't know what to do. And I had some great mentors and we had a good pastor and he was helpful and, and, and led us and so on. And, and four years later, we decided that the Lord was leading us to leave that church and move to Atlanta, Georgia to be a part of a church plant. It would have been about three years old and we moved down there and it was the worst year of our lives. It was awful, terrible. Uh, it was clear from very early on that the pastor and I were not on the same page that I thought we were on when I interviewed for the job and it was just terrible. And we left there 11 months later with no job and a house payment and three kids. And then Ronnie and Mary Sue Hubbard, friends of ours from years and years ago when I was in college, they had sort of adopted my wife and I, Nancy and I, and, and, uh, and we were part of their college ministry at Westside Baptist Church. And Ronnie and Mary Sue had been uh, privy to the whole situation. Here's what we're going through, and so would you pray for us, and so on. And, and Mary Sue says, hey, there's a little church across town. I'm going to call them. And it's sort of like, well, okay, thanks, you know, I guess. You know, I never expected anything. Like, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, you know. Thanks for your encouragement. And she called, and lo and behold, Chris Nelson, who is a member here, was the chairman of the search team. And he says, hey, we've gotten your name from some folks that we trust. Would you be interested in talking with us? I said, well, yeah, I would. I'd love to talk with you. <laughs> not doing anything, so why not? And so, just sitting here in my living room, absolutely, let's talk. So... So, so anyway, so I talked with Chris for a little bit at that point and, and, and they said, we'd like to meet with you. And so that's when I came and I sat over there and I got the job description and I talked with them and, and, the, and then they said that we, we were traveling up to visit Nancy's family in Illinois that week and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And, and, and Chris called me and he said, we'd like you to be our pastor. I said, is this how it works? I have no idea. I don't know what to, what's the next step. I'm a youth minister. I have no clue what I'm doing. And. And so anyway, he, he said, we'd like for you to, to come and to preach. And so on August 3rd, 2008, I showed up and here I was and I preached right here. And the very next week there was a vote and I didn't, I wasn't sure what, what was going to happen. Is it a popularity contest? We, you know, what do we do? We like the search team, not like the search team. We like the pastor, not like the pastor. So on August 10th, you guys voted in the affirmative. Uh, at least most of you did. And so, uh, so here I am. And we came here on August, uh, my first Sunday was August 31st of 2008. And so I say all that because I look back on nine years so far of ministry here and, and Lord willing, lots more. And I say, you know, God, I, I want to make sure that I'm always doing what the pastor of the church needs to be doing. And Lord, I want to be sure to make, to, to, to help the folks understand what the congregation is to be doing, how that relationship is to work. Because I believe that Jesus in all of his infinite wisdom, when he left the earth and ascended into heaven and then later sent the Holy Spirit to empower and establish the church, I believe Jesus set up that relationship between pastor and church to be a match made in heaven. I really do. And I don't mean that everything's perfect all the time. I just really believe that in his, in his infinite wisdom, he knew exactly what he was doing. So he provided leaders for the church and a congregation for the leaders, if you understand what I mean. And it's to be a match made in heaven. In Matthew chapter 16, we looked at this last week. If you want to turn there, go ahead. Jesus is talking with his disciples and he, and he kind of puts the question to him and he says, who do people say that I am? And in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, this is where this conversation takes place. And they rattle off some names. We looked at this last week. There was some confusion over who he was. And then he finally says, but you, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the apostle Peter, speaking on behalf, he was kind of the spokesman for the 12 disciples. He speaks on their behalf and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, you are correct. That's exactly right. That's who I am. Last week we looked at what do we believe? If we're going to be the church that is to be undefeated like Jesus says it is, what do we believe? So we looked at five irreducible beliefs about Jesus Christ last week. He goes on in that. He says, you're right. God has revealed this to you. It didn't come from some source, some book, or some human. God has revealed this to you. And then he talks to Peter in verse 18, and he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. He calls him the rock. Cephas is another word for it. Petra is the Greek word that means rock. You are rock. You are the rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, there have been some crazy theologies that have come up out of this. Understand that Peter is still a mere human being. Still a mere human. Only Jesus is divine and human at the same time. So when Jesus talks about Peter here, he's talking about the leadership of the church that has its foundation in the faith of Jesus Christ. And he's going to say, I'm going to use you in a very special way. And so when I read that and I look at it and I say, you know what? There's a special role for the leaders in the church to play. There's a role then, a relationship that takes place between the leaders and the congregation. And so this morning, I want to quickly and briefly look at what is it that the pastor should be doing. What can you as, as the congregation expect the pastor to do? And what then on the flip side can the pastor expect the congregation to do? Now, if you're new to church, maybe this is the first time you've been in a long time. So maybe just call it church 101. We're just trying to help you understand why is it that we're doing? What in the world am I doing here? Why am I standing here? Why do you pay me to do anything? You understand? And what then is your role as the congregation? Jesus set it up to be the relationship between the shepherd and the flock. I am convinced that no matter what I read, that the biblical role for pastor is to be a shepherd. Now, we don't have much reference on what a shepherd even is nowadays. I doubt that any of you have, have ever herded sheep much. But the biblical analogy, the biblical phraseology and all of that stuff points to the idea of shepherd. And if you want to know what a true good shepherd looks like, you look at Jesus Christ. So when he set it up, he set up to be like sub-shepherds, under-shepherds that would have these little flocks all around in these local churches and the pastor would function as shepherd and the congregation would function as the flock. And so we're going to have that relationship. How do we do that? What is it that the congregation, the flock, should expect from the pastor? Now, you got some stuff you can hold against me today, all right? I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. You can hold it all against me and thump me with it all you want to and whatever, and I'll just, I'll, I'll run and, and, and you can chase me, okay? But here's what we got. I got four things that the, the flock should expect from the shepherd. If I am the under shepherd, the, the person that God has called to be the pastor here, what should you be expecting from me in that particular role? Or if you're a part of of another church, what should you expect from your shepherd, from your pastor? And I'll tell you this, if your shepherd, your pastor is not doing these things, being these things, then he's out of God's will, period. And if I am not doing these things and being these things, then I'm out of God's will. I need you to tell me. I don't need you to call me out in front of everybody. That's not the point, but I need you to come and tell me, you know what? I, I think maybe you're drifting from these things. Because the biblical role of pastor is shepherd, not CEO, not just administrator, not butler, you know, just to answer and wait on people, not politician to try to make everybody happy, and not superstar, it's shepherd. And the role of the church is that of a flock, not a country club, not social hour, and not a constituency. So we have this relationship. Anyway, let's look at the four things that the flock should expect from the shepherd. I'm going to be over in the book of 1 Timothy. 
kind of flip, if you're in Matthew, flip to the right. You'll get to, to two letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to uh, his understudy, his protege named Timothy. And we're looking at the first one this morning. We'll be in chapter 3. Let me, uh, let me read this to you. This is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be an overseer or a shepherd or a pastor, that word means, he desires a noble work. It is a high calling, I'll tell you that. And I love it. I can't see myself doing anything else. I've tried. I tried to be a high school teacher. I tried to be a high school baseball coach. I couldn't do it. It was not my calling. So this is a noble work. I, 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 I appreciate what I get to do. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. Here's what, here's what it is. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own, his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. Where my kids are in here? Y'all listening? <laughs> Get you later. All right. Because it says in verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. The first thing that the flock should expect from the shepherd is show me. Show me. Here's what I mean by that. You look at all these qualifications. You should have in the pastor of your church someone who lives a legitimate Christian life. I didn't say perfect Christian life. You're looking for perfection. You better look at Jesus Christ, not at me. And I don't mean that facetiously because I'm going to let you down. I'm going to let you down. It's going to happen. I've told the folks on Wednesday night, our Wednesday night Bible study that we meet and we're taking the summer off, but I've told them a joke with them. I've been ejected from seven different baseball games in my life. Seven. Seven. It's a lot. Yelling and hollering, saying stuff to umpires about their strike zone. I mean, I, you know, they, I mean, the umpires were bad, but still, you know. <laughs> but I ain't perfect. That's the bottom line. I'm not perfect. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to do something that is sinful. That's just the way it is because that's who I am. But you should be able to look at the shepherd, the, the pastor of your church, and see character that is of Jesus Christ. When you say, what does it look like to walk with Jesus? You should have somebody in your church. And granted, I'm not the only shepherd, if you will, of this church. But you should be able to look at the leaders of your church and your pastor and say, you know what? I know that guy's not perfect. But I see in that person some character that I can, I can say, you know what? That reflects Jesus. And I think that's what Paul is talking about. These are the characteristics of Jesus. To be above reproach. To be self-controlled. To not be a bully, but be gentle. So on and so forth. You should be able to look. And what does it look like to walk with Jesus? I've got an example. Here's someone who can show, show me what that means. What does it mean to trust Jesus? I've got an example. What does it mean to, to walk with the Lord at home, at work, even when I fail, in success, in crisis, whatever? That's what I should be able to look to the leaders of my church and find. Here's someone who walks with Jesus. So the church should expect that the pastor's life, the shepherd's life, will show them what it means to walk with Jesus. As I said, not sinless perfection. And, and we've, got a cult, we've got such a celebrity culture, and it is so awful even in the church. And we have a celebrity culture that we hold these people up so high. And guess what happens? They fall, don't they? Don't they? They fall over and over and over again. And then we say, well, I've lost my faith in religion. Why? Well, because that person, they, they claim to be this and then they sinned. Really? They did? Oh, well, I'm, I'm shocked. 
just I'm so surprised that they they sinned. Let me tell you this. I want to be, and I am called to be, and I am accountable to God to be someone who shows you what Christian character looks like, but I'm not Jesus. I'm not. And I don't mean that to take pressure off myself because I, that's not the point. There's no pressure on me. I am forgiven and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. No pressure on me to perform. Any of that comes only for myself. But don't look at me for your ultimate example. Look to Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. But you do have the expectation that your shepherd should show you what it means to walk with Jesus. The second thing that you can expect from the shepherd is teach me. In Acts chapter 6, the disciples were, were kind of figuring out a problem. Uh, there was some some uh, a ministry in the church. There was a widow ministry in the church at the time, and and part of it was not going well. And people were being neglected, and some of the ladies were fired up. And you don't want to get the ladies fired up in the church. And so the the apostles were were saying, "Man, we you know we got to solve this now because these ladies are fired up, and I don't want them on my back. So we got to figure something out." And so they said, "Here's what you do. Here's how to solve this problem." They said, Choose some people from among you that will figure this out and serve and, and, and help this ministry and do all of that because they said, we've got to make sure to give our attention to what it is God has called us to do in the church. And they listed two, two things at that time. We understand that it unfolded a little bit more, but they said, we got to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles knew that part of their main responsibility was to teach and to preach. And part of my main responsibility is to do the same thing. You should expect that you will be taught the Word of God. Look at it, look at First uh, Timothy chapter four. Look at verse six. If you point these things out, he's listed some things he ought to be teaching. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Then he goes on and he talks about in verse 7, don't, do, don't have anything to do with irreverent and silly myths. Te- basically he's saying teach the truth. Look in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Paul is writing to a pastor. He's saying teach, preach these things. Look at verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on the hand of the counsel of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your faith may be, your progress may be evident to all. Then look in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Look at that. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but having a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. What is he saying? Teach the Bible. Teach what is true. Then flip a little bit more to the right. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly what? Teaching the word of truth or rightly dividing, some of your some of your versions may say. Correctly teaching the word of truth. Then look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 5. Before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead uh, by his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the message. Your word, your versions may say, preach the word. And then here's what he says, persist in it, whether convenient or not. I believe the King James says, in season and out of season. You know, pretty well these days, the word of God is out of season. Not exactly the most popular. Now, unless you're telling people, hey, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, which means, hey, you can climb this mountain and you can charge this and you can take care of this and you can hit that home run and so on. You inspire people, they'll they'll take the word of God for that. 
But you use it in the way that it's meant to be used, which is to touch and pierce hearts with the truth of Jesus Christ, revealing the sin that lies within and helping folks to understand and be convicted by that and then give their lives to Jesus. That ain't real popular, is it? But the pastor is to teach no matter what. Preach the Word. I stand up here every Sunday just following what the Bible has told me to do. Preach the Word. Try to help folks understand their need for Jesus. Try to help folks understand what they need to hear, not just what they want to hear, right? My goal each week is to say, what has God said? What does it mean? Why does it matter? And what do we do now? That's what I go for. And I really do believe that week in and week out, a church that will support expository preaching, just un- unveiling, here's what the Bible says. Let me reveal it to you. Let me just throw it out there. Here, let me explain it. Here's what it means. Here's what it's always meant. I really believe that that kind of church will be healthy over time. And so I've tried to give a lot of time to the ministry of teaching. So you can expect teaching. Thirdly, equip me. Equip me. We'll look at a couple of passages here real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And what you have heard from me, look at this, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Part of my role is to help others be able to disciple other people, to be a discipler of disciplers. That's the way it goes. And then if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, Turn back to the left just a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4 goes back to the left. Hold your place in Timothy. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We look here and we see he, Jesus, personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Look at verse 12. Here's what it says. For the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Part of my responsibility is to equip and help folks know, here's how it is that you can build up the body of Christ. One of the things we've done on Wednesday nights, and previously we did it on Sunday nights, is is just to do some equipping type studies. We've got one coming up, just so you know, that will begin in August on Wednesday nights. We'd love for you to be a part of it. We meet in here, it's a very relaxed, discussion-oriented kind of group. It's, it's one of my favorite times, I'll be honest with you. And the people that, that come, I think, say the same thing. We just enjoy being together. We are gonna be, we're going to be starting a study beginning in August called Discussing What You Believe. And maybe you maybe you don't understand all that there is to know about the Christian faith and so on. Discussing what you believe, that's what we're going to be talking about. It's meant to equip you to go out into the world and be able to discuss what you believe. Part of my role is to do that. And it says there to do the work of the ministry. Uh, I, I try to do a lot of stuff. And what I've realized in nine years of being a pastor is that there's a lot of stuff I can't do. There's a few things I can do and a lot of stuff I can't do, which means that I need you and your help. And I'm so grateful for so many of you who pitch in week in and week out to do the work of the ministry. The fourth thing here is to care for me. Uh, you should expect that your pastor cares for you. And I don't know, maybe you're a part of a church and maybe this is your church home, maybe it's not. And you don't feel as if the pastor cares for you. If this is your church and you don't feel like the pastor cares for you, please come and talk to me. I mean that sincerely. Let me know because I'd like to know if you don't feel like I care for you. Really would like to know that before you leave and never come back. Okay, I would really like to know ahead of time because I need to repent and apologize and figure out how it is that we can make sure that you believe and you know that you're cared for. Uh, here's what it says in First Timothy chapter 5. Look at this. 
Two verses. The first two verses. First Timothy 5. He's talking to a pastor here. Do not rebuke an older man. Timothy was about my age, give or take. Really young. <laughs> Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers with all propriety, and younger women as sisters. What's he saying? Care for people like they're part of your family. Yeah, I, I, I am so grateful, and I tell you this all the time. We, if you look around this morning, we have a variety of ages represented. We don't just have a young church. We don't just have an old church. We just don't have a middle age not wanting to admit their old church. We don't have that. You know, we don't have that kind of church. We got everybody right. And so we've got the opportunity for me as a pastor to be able to relate to a variety of ages. And guess what? I take this very seriously. Now, I'm not perfect at it. But I want to make sure that people are cared for. Now, the pastor cannot do it all, but the pastor should be the leader in caring for the people. And the pastor should care for the people. He should. That's the end of the story. If your pastor doesn't care, you don't feel like he cares, then you, you need to go talk to him. And say, look, do you even like me? What, what did I do? What's going on? Please come and tell me. So those are the four things. Now I'm going to roll through the rest real, real quick. What should the shepherd expect from the flock? So here's where I get to hold some stuff against you, right? Okay, so you got a whole list of things. Here we go. You ready? Four things. Unite together. That would be the first one. Unite together. We're going to look in the book of Hebrews real quick. If you turn to the right just a little bit more, you'll get to the book of Hebrews. And the writer here lays out some things that, that, uh, that church members are to be a part of and are to be doing. Look at verse 24 of chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 24. Look at it quickly. Let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day, that's the day of the Lord, judgment day, drawing near. What's he talking about? He's talking about unity in the church. Let's get together, literally, physically be here together, and let's encourage one another, love on one another. If I can ask anything of you, even if you don't like me, love each other. You understand? Love one another. Be united together. What does that mean? That means you care for each other. You look out for somebody. You don't assume anybody else is going to meet that need. You make that phone call. You send that text message. You follow up. You say hello. You learn a name. You do those things to be united. That means you forgive one another. That means you restore relationships. You get to know each other. You go out to eat with maybe somebody in addition to your normal group. You take somebody else with you. I don't know. That means we don't have stupid arguments over stupid things. You know how stupid some of the stuff churches argue about is? Stupid. It's just dumb. What are we doing? We don't argue about stupid things. If we care about one another, right? If we're united, that stuff goes out the window. We don't care because people are more important than our preferences. So we unite together. Secondly, we follow godly leaders. Turn to the right just a little bit more in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, look at verse 7. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. And then look at verse 9. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. One of the things you ought to do if you've got godly leaders in your life here in the church is to follow their example and follow their teaching as they follow the Lord follow them. Elm Grove, I'll tell you this, has been such a blessing to me. Because if you look in verse 17, you'll see why. Now the first, the first part of this is going to freak you out. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So I'm just going to stop there. 
I got a list of I got it. So I got a list of some stuff that we need to do, and you need to submit and obey. Right? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Here's the deal. I am so blessed. I want you to know this. I am so blessed to be here. I tell people all the time, I don't have deacon problems. Some churches have deacon problems. You may not even know what a deacon is. Right? It's, it's not demon. It's deacon. Okay? But some pastors deal with demon deacons. That's just the way that it is. I don't have deacon problems. Our guys are, are totally loving and supportive. They are here to love you and to love me and support and so on and so forth. I don't have trustee problems. I don't have people who are out just trying to run the church and do what they want to do and so on. I don't have that. I don't have congregational problems. I don't feel like there's anybody who's out to get me here. Now, maybe you are and you're just waiting your time. You're like, you know what? Yeah, I've been waiting nine years, man. You don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. You know, I just, but I don't feel that. You know why? Because you have provided me with the opportunity to do, do this with joy and not grief. It's a joy to serve you. It's a joy to be the pastor. I talk about it being a privilege to be the pastor here at the church. It really, really is because of the relationship. Because I do believe that, that we get behind godly leaders, not just myself, but others, and say, you know what? Yeah, that's where we need to go. A third thing is to pray. To unite together, to follow godly leaders, and to pray. Look at verse 18 of Hebrews 13. Pray for us. <laughs> pray for us. Writing to a congregation to say, please pray for us. Let me just tell you, you want to write some things down? Here's how you can pray for me. And I tell you, I, 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 I desperately need it. Every single day. I really do. You can pray for holiness. I'm just going to give you a list. You ready? Holiness. Faith. Believe it or not, every once in a while, even as a pastor, your faith kind of struggles sometimes. Boldness. To simply preach what is God's word here in boldness. Wisdom, because I don't know everything, and I don't understand everything. Protection, I mean spiritual protection, and I would appreciate praying for physical protection as well, but spiritual protection from spiritual attack in particular. For open doors to share the gospel. For endurance. I would, I would really appreciate if you think about, you know, even Sunday morning, just, just pray for the sermon. And for rest. Those are, those are things just to pray for. I'm, I'm not trying to be selfish, but some of you say, hey, how can I pray for it? There you go. you got a whole list. But I do believe that if, if the congregation will be praying for the pastor and vice versa, we've got a pretty good relationship. Number four, submit to Jesus. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 20. He closes the letter here, the writer does, and he says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I can't do that. That's not me. I'm not the God of peace. I can't raise up Jesus Christ. May the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Don't miss that. The great shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. I am privileged to be here. He is the great shepherd. With the blood of the everlasting covenant, may that God of peace equip you with all that is good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor forever. If there's anything I could ask of you, if there's anything that I would say, please give yourself to this, it is to submit to Jesus in this way. He is the great shepherd. He is. 
I'm not your savior. I'm not your hero. This is not a sermon about me as Brad. This is a sermon about the pastor and the congregation. I don't care where you go. That pastor is not your savior. Don't let him lie to you. That pastor is not your hero. He can do nothing for you. Nothing except be a vessel and a channel that that God can speak through. He can do nothing for you. Only Jesus Christ can save your soul. You follow him. Because if I ever get off base, then you'll still have your eyes on the one who never moves. You'll still have your eyes on the one in Hebrews 13 that says, who never changes. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As I follow the Lord, fine, follow my lead. But you put your eyes on him. Because I'll say this, Jesus has designed an undefeatable church. But it is undefeatable so far as we keep our eyes on him. This relationship, I pray, will continue for many, many years. But it will only work and only continue if I and we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. I want to pray for us this morning as I close the sermon. I I want to pray that each of us would do just that, that we would keep our eyes on Jesus and that we would serve him and submit to him as we love one another as pastor and church. Let me pray for us as these guys come to lead us in our closing song. Our Heavenly Father, it's a little different sermon this morning. You knew... This was a sermon I was going to preach, and so, Lord, I know you've got a plan for it. And, Lord, I do pray that as the under-shepherd here, Lord, that you would would develop, continue to develop in me those character qualities that are required. Lord, teach me more each day. May I keep my eyes on you, Lord. And I pray for this church. Lord, we would not look to an earthly man, but we would look to Jesus Christ. We would see you high and lifted up. And Lord, we would follow you. And as the song says that we'll sing in a moment, that we would simply surrender all to you. All to Jesus I surrender. So, Lord, may that be the cry of our hearts as pastor, as congregation, as shepherd, as flock, that all to you we surrender, individually and collectively. We give you all of it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand as we close with this I surrender also.